0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Glenn, what are you doing? I'm enjoying a delicious treat from Bright's Bites. The dog training treats? The
1: same. I've heard that Bright's Bites are not just healthy and nutritious for
0: dogs, but they're so delicious, they're actually a very motivational form of training. They are indeed. We've tested and tried them on site, and they work just great. How did you get a hold of those? Did you purchase them off of a website? I went to... DogSquadCanineServices.com.au
1: That's where people should go to get themselves some Bright's Bites, healthy, nutritious, but also highly motivational dog training treats. Get them in your dog, y'all. Hey, Glenn. Yes. I figured out why Jason has a website. Why is that? It's not exactly the
0: easiest bloke to talk to. Well, let's try that. Hello? Can I speak to uh, Jason Ed furman please?
1: Uh, what are you doing, you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here, folks. That's the kind of treatment you'll get if you actually <laughs> dial Jason from Dog Clip. So what you need to do if you want any leashes, tugs, harnesses, balls, reward toys, canine fitness and conditioning equipment, Herm Springer things anything like that, head to einswickdogquip.com. That's E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K dot com because you do not want to have to talk to this guy. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my
0: co-host, Glenn Cook. We're back again. Yes, we are, sir. It's just us. Do you know how many people love that? How dare you, sir? (laughs) (laughs) I know you said you found that in Joe Rogan once, but yeah, it's really getting some traction. Like, I'll say things to people now, just random people around the world, and we're having a chat online, and... (laughs) I'll just go, how dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> i pull a good one on that. i we'll uh, have to get that one. I think that will have to be a shirt. Yeah. Yeah. How dare you, sir?
1: How dare I, you, sir? i pull a good one of that the other day on Clayton Matthews where he called us dickheads with a microphone. Yeah. And yep. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How dare you, sir? <laughs> we have four microphones. <laughs> ah, yes, you did too. Actually, <laughs> um, we've got eight. Yeah. We've got microphones coming out the wazoo. Don't, yeah, don't tell but us thanks, about microphones. Thanks to our
0: Patreon people. Yeah. We have- Just kidding. Yeah.
1: We like everybody. We, we
0: love you all. Yeah.
1: Hey, let's get on with it. So, round three of trying to get through all these questions. Yeah, it's given us a lot of content, but we just keep running out of time. Mm. And It's good that we're kind of mixing
0: it up amongst some other episodes. I think the wonderful thing about it is that we're being an effective part of our community. Mm. Rather than just putting out content, we're actually listening to what our people want. Yeah, giving people what they want. Yeah. So, we got up to Nick Sutton. Yep.
1: Okay, I'm going to ask his questions. What are primary indicators of stress that you watch out for to show that you're applying too much pressure to a dog in a specific training situations? He goes on to say, for dogs who have been shut down, there is a video of Bart Bellen explaining how he would let a dog take advantage of the handler so that the dog feels as if they were in control of the situation in order to grow their confidence back. What are some other methods to empower dogs who have been shut down by a training tool? I know this is fixed at the relation level, but I'm just curious to see if you have any good examples. Uh, He then says, if a handler also teaches a dog bite work, is it okay for a handler to work his dogs in fight drive too? So that's a different question. So let's go back to the start. Right. Primary indicators of stress that you watch out for to show that you are applying too much pressure to a dog in a training
0: situation. Mm. What do you reckon? Well, it can be read in many different ways by different dogs. Mm -hmm. It's usually indicated by... Things such as yawning, evasiveness. There's quite a few things that dogs will do. I mean, a dog will just flat out give up uh, in many different situations. It will try and avoid you altogether if it realises that there's just too much stress here. Going back to somebody, the reason I go back to this quite a fair bit is because it's my recent reading. I enjoy the the author and his manuscript, but it's Bobby Sapolsky, Dr. Robert Sapolsky, Uncle Bobby, and he talks about the effects of stress in the system. And it effectively is necessary. I mean, stress is something that affects all our senses, all five senses it has to. Otherwise, they won't activate. Mm-hmm. When you look at the basic model of operant conditioning, you have to have stress on your system to activate your senses. You have to have your senses activated so they'll respond to it. The problem is, is again, it goes back to that old medical quote uh, the difference between the poison and the cure is in the dose yeah too much stress creates too much glucocorticoids it has a very potent effect on the brain a little stress is actually good for you it is growth inducing it encourages growth it encourages you to learn which is for any of the students who have done Bart silver school that's what he tries to induce he yeah. tries to create a stressful environment and it goes back to Daniel Coyle's book that you always encourage everybody at your seminars to read. Mm-hmm. The Talent Code. The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Mm-hmm. It's one of the books that you are sort of annoyed that when you go into your seminar, if you go, if you go into a Patch Stewart seminar, folks, here's the thing. If you haven't read The Talent Code, be prepared to be spanked. Well, uh, unless you don't know to read it. Bart's told
1: everybody in the world to read it. Yeah, uh, We have been telling everybody, <laughs> we're constantly <laughs> referencing it. Yeah, It's available as an audio book. Uh, and yeah. the, the information in that is—it's uh, key. It's yeah. changed so many people in the way mm-hmm. that they train. There's so many people that use it as a reference. I was listening to Joe Bradshaw not too long ago talking about it. Yep. Um, like there's so like there's so much information in there that's relevant to your day to day life and your training. Mm.
0: You got to read that book. And I know it creates stress to read books sometimes. So <laughs> as you said, as an escape, there is the audio file. Yeah. Uh, and which I had—I admittedly had to do. I found the book quite dry to read in sections. Mm-hmm. Albeit that it was an interesting book, I still had to download the audio and then read the book and the audio together so I could really like mm-hmm. super activate it. Mm-hmm. That's my way of when I really want to drown myself in in knowledge and really take it in, I do the audio and I read it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I've got two forms of stimuli activating together. Yeah. Okay. So back to the question. What are the primary indicators
1: of stress that you watch out for to show that you are applying too much pressure to a dog in a specific training situation? Yeah. I think that there's a really simple answer to that, and that's you're not making progress towards the final yeah, behavior that, that you want. That's it. And so if the stress that you're applying is having the opposite effect of what you want, mm. no matter how you're applying that that pressure, that stress, whatever, yep. if you're from one example to the other, like one extreme to the other, if you've got working dogs and you're putting pressure on them to bring out forward aggression yep. and they're showing they're looking for an exit – then that's bad. That, yeah. That's the wrong thing that you want. It's not that the pressure that you're applying is not bringing on the behavior that you want. Yeah. Similarly, and if you're just- And that's those indicators. Yeah, yeah. And if you're just using a leash to get a dog into a situation and the dog's fighting the leash, then that's the wrong amount of pressure, right? right. Like it's it, it's going in the wrong direction. Yep. And the problem, I think, with with all kinds of pressure and training is that once you apply it, you're kind of stuck, right? Yep. So you, that's why I sort of preach always- very low levels to teach the dog about how to control it and manipulate it yep and then you can go up in levels no problem mm. and by levels I mean you know we might talk number on an e collar pressure on a leash forward like the, you know how much forward pressure you put on a dog in the right bite work like whatever mm. but it, it's I start very very low. And so there's a learning phase at very, very low when the pressure is so low that the dog really isn't concerned too much about it, but rather notices that they're able to control it. Mm. And once that's in place, then you can go crazy with it because you'll never stress the dog out. You'll never have a problem of it because the dog knows, I know the behavior that will turn this off and can immediately display that behavior.
0: Yeah. There isn't a species on the world that will have an issue with reinforcement and punishment, provided they know how to operate each side of that spectrum. Mm. If they understand how to shut off punishment, uh, like how to avoid it, escape it, whatever they need to do, they're okay with it. Yeah. Because it's a, it's still motivation. And we've talked about this on a multitude of times, and it's something that really needs to be understood. If you know how to be reinforced, you'll look to increase your desire to get whatever you did or increase the flow of that. Mm-hmm. If you know how to shut off punishment, you'll know how to decrease that. You'll know how to stop the behaviors or whatever it is that's causing it. So yeah. you just got to be made aware of it. And that is the importance, as you said, the teaching phase or the learning phase, you know, the primary phase that the reality is, is if you're at such a, a youthful stage in your learning, you still have to take baby steps with yeah. everything. You know, and that's what we've got to do as educators. We've got to make sure that we really are inducing it at such a low level that you can see that you're not going to get your point to the no more, one more time stage. Mm. The only way that you're really going to understand that completely is when you do it accidentally for the first time. Mm -hmm. And you sort of, you get an indication of what your dog's capable of in that moment. And that's when you have to say to yourself, okay, I've seen it today. It occurred. It's not a big deal if it happens a couple of times, like in small doses. You certainly don't want to create single event learning where it's so bad that the dog goes, fuck, I'm out of this altogether. Mm-hmm. And then you have to look at changing commands or even changing your your entire approach to it. Yeah, But if it's just a mild dose and the dog sort of has a bit of a, a hizzy fit to it, then you can say to yourself, okay, well, now I know where the threshold is. Now I know when I need to ease back a little bit. That really becomes a discipline. The whole no more, one more time thing, that really is a discipline. That's mm-hmm. when you've got to say to yourself, okay, I'm satisfied that's it. I didn't get to where I want to go, but I don't need to because I got far enough. Yeah. I think we we we've said it a million times but Have to. the yeah. mm. <laughs> the only
1: way to know when you hit peak performance is to look back at it and go shit, okay, how went, far I've I, come. Well, no, I went over the peak. The only way you can be sure that you just did the best rep of the session is to do a rep that's not as good and then go, shit, I went too far. Yep. So don't be afraid to stop early yep. because otherwise you, you, you are going to go over the peak. Like that's the only way you can be sure. Yep. Like the last rep was better. So now I'm fuck, I'm, I'm on the downwards decline.
0: Stop there. Don't chase your tail. Yep. I can turn this into a BJJ thing. <laughs> the cult. Yeah. The cult most of the time. And this will be echoed when you first join. And even while it doesn't matter how many roles you're doing on the mat, you'll always be told tap early. You know, and the guys who just persist and fight, they're the guys who walk off the mat with ice on their, Mm -hmm. their knee or their elbow, you know, because they push through it, they push through it, they're told, you know, there's no fucking trophy here. Yeah. You're not going to get a, you're not going to get anything apart from, you know, a sore elbow or a sore knee. So when you feel that, that pressure coming on, just tap, Mm. you know, you're done. There's no more one more time. You don't push anymore. You don't, you don't break your joint or risk injury and can't get up for work the next day. And that's the same thing you've got to think about in your training. You know, we can't physically feel it, but we've got to learn to discipline ourselves to physically see it. Yeah. That's my advice. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that all kind of feeds into the second part of Nick's question. Here.
1: He says, for dogs who have been shut down, there is a video of Bart Bellin explaining how he would let a dog take advantage of the handler so the dog feels as though they were in control of the situation in order to grow their confidence back. What are some other methods to empower dogs being shut down by a training tool? I know the video you're talking about Bart, and it's the best explanation of You're not going to get a better one. But I think that something that is important to understand is the most likely path to have I think there's two very likely paths to having a dog shut down by a training tool. Mm. One is for them to not realize that they're in control of it. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a big one. That's the most important thing. And so the consistent use of the tool, meaning that, there is a consistent escape of pressure. Mm. If you're going to use a tool that applies pressure, you need to be consistent in showing the path to escape it because if there is no clear path of escape, then that's where you're going to get a actually shut down, yeah, yeah. like proper learned helplessness. Yep. Where you go, okay, when this thing goes on, fuck my life. There's nothing I can, nothing do. can do. There's yep. nothing I can do to, to save myself the misery. Here yep. I go into the misery. I, I just got a brace for it. And, yeah, and I and just can to it. it. Yep. So that's, you know, it, that's consistency terrible. in the tool is mm. the way to go. But one thing that is also- I'm cautious talking about this, but it certainly is the case it's worth people understanding and and maybe be be careful applying this. But sometimes the the picture of a dog being shut down because of a tool, can be just a learned behavior and the mm-hmm. dog's like mindset is actually fine but the the physical thing that you're seeing is the behavior that you have taught your dog yep. and you see people do this with prong collars especially pet people that you you, you show them how to use a prong collar it's all sweet it, in your lesson whatever they go home yep. they put it on the dog then their timing's not as good as you and the dog goes like oh fuck like gives the stress signals it rebels against it yeah so mm-hmm. they immediately take it off and yep. they think no I'm never using that thing again and the dog and goes the dog yes was, yeah. that was easy well the dog just oh that's the behavior you want because mm-hmm. you put the dog under pressure the dog showed the the shutdown picture and then you stopped the pressure and you go shit I was bad at this or the tool is bad or whatever yep. and then the dog go- when that tool goes on he goes oh this is what you want from me mm-hmm. and it's not that that his mindset is really in that place it's that that is a learned behavior it's just something that you have by accident taught the dog and yeah. I've seen that many 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 yep. times and you see people and you you can get pretty good at reading that I think do you, you can know, do you know see- when that
0: happens a lot yeah. with board and train mm-hmm. like when people pick up their dogs in board and train and you and this applies to most companies this is a this is a worldwide thing as i talk to more people more people experience this phenomenon uh, on an ongoing basis when they are showing the the people their skills that they've taught the dog and the time the dog's been there and they go fantastic that's not my dog mm. you know that's the catch cry they will say that's not my dog that's that's another dog wow mm-hmm. then within a week of them taking home they ring up and go not everyone but Certainly clients will ring up and go, um, so everything that happened the other day, none of that's happening now yeah. because this is what hap- what's happening. The dog is going home, being put in that, that exact same situation. The dog realizes, well, you know, you're not going to push me through this, so I don't have to do it with you. Yeah. So it's selection criteria of the trainer, but not with the handler. So. They bring the dog back, you take the dog, you put it in your hands, and within five minutes, the dog is doing everything that it did before. Yeah. And they're going, it's me, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the episode we've done a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I think it's important to remember that with any tool of
1: pressure – The moment of reinforcement is when the pressure is removed. Yeah. And so you got to remember, like, what is the dog doing when this pressure is removed? Which is why when I teach how to use pressure, I'm always, I always say to people, be very careful. Stay low. You use good examples of that too. Yeah, I think you you have to because Mm. I think as balance trainers and people who are on the very motivational end of balance training, I think that like- When we're going to advise people how to use pressure, we have to explain to them very well how to do it. But also understand that if it goes bad, you need to know the path to get out. Mm. And if you do by accident or on purpose put too much pressure on a dog, you're stuck in that pressure until the, until the be- a behavior happens that you're happy with. Yeah. Because the, the release of the pressure is the reinforcer. Mm. And you know, reinforcement literally means to increase the frequency and likelihood of the behavior. So the dog is going to display that behavior in order to avoid pressure. If that's how he escaped pressure, that's how he's going to avoid it in the future. Whatever you um, reinforce, you'll get more of. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So we sort of covered that. Uh, if a handler also teaches a dog bite work, is it okay for the handler to work dog's fight drive too? Wow, that could start a fight, the word fight drive. I decoy my own dog sometimes, <laughs> but it is all in prey drive currently. Would I save teaching fight drive for an experienced decoy other than me? Or does it depend on the dog's mentality about whether they are stable enough to handle the pressure put on them from their owner doing, doing it Or what I've always been curious about this. So on that, we've already answered this in another thing. You shouldn't help do that. No. And so fight drive, let's pretend you didn't say that and just say like drive channeling in and out of defense, yep. prey and defense. Don't do that with your own dog. Yeah, if you uh, want your dog to take it seriously and fuck you up one day, yeah, go ahead and do that. As we said in the other episode, it just there's way more risk than there is reward, yeah. and and you're basically teaching your dog that
0: it can. Uh, download stress into you. Prey is, is fine. targeting's stuff. fine. All yeah. that's good. You know, I mean, that's good interactive play between you and your dog. There, anybody can do that. Who's got half a brain. Yeah. When I say anybody there, the caveat on that is learn how to do it properly. Mm. Like at least get some education. So you don't come up with a dog that's biting the end of the sleeve. That's playing with the handles rather than, you know, like biting the meat of the yeah. toy and everything like that. There's, there is a skill and an art and there, there's people who can show you how to do that and where you want the dog to bite how in particular you want the dog to bite. So it starts developing good behavioural patterns when you're getting on there. But yeah, as Pat's been saying, I'm I'm 100% with that. Don't do defensive type behaviour with your own dog. Yeah. Go hire a decoy or drive the distance you need to drive. Yeah, just to fit get that last piece in, that finished piece. Yeah. And go to a good – here's another one. Go to a good decoy. You know, yeah. like if there's a decoy an hour down the road and there's one, two hours down the road and the difference between them is, is shit and caviar, well, there's your answer. Yeah.
1: You know, to reiterate, there's two reasons, well, there's probably more, but the two that come to mind is you, you don't want your dog to ever think that in a real fight, you're the easy target. So when yeah. so like if, if you've rehearsed your dog actually putting your dog into, say, let's let's use that term fight drive, if you've put your dog into that drive and rehearsed beating you. Then when the opportunity comes of he's a stranger, I don't know whether I can beat him. Like yep. he's applying stress to me. And the only thing keeping me in this situation is you. And I know I can beat you because I've rehearsed that. Mm. You put yourself in a position where the dog can turn around and come back at you. Uh, and that's, you know, probably worst case scenario. The other is that you you just create conflict with your own dog. You create mistrust. Like, you know, proper defense work is mistrust. You mm. are creating mistrust of the helper. And so you don't want that in your own relationship. And, and I think that- most people find this who do a lot of decoying for their own dogs. Because like, I talk about it, I talk to a lot of people about it because there's lots of people in this same situation that, that do the same thing. And most will sort of explain though they couldn't put their own dog into that drive even if they wanted to mm. because the dog just doesn't take it seriously. It's like, no, this is, we're playing. And, yeah. and so the dog's kind of protecting you from your own problems in that way.
0: Well, the likelihood of if you ever did anything like that, if you're ever successful, and as you said, in a stressful situation or the wrong situation, if the dog did come back on the lead and, and chew you up, the likelihood of you turning around kicking the living shit out of your own dog is quite high. And then you've just defeated the dog for doing exactly what you've been coaching it yeah, to do. Yeah. So everything that you've basically said to the dog, this is what I want you to do. Here's the picture. You've just completely betrayed that in the dog. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense. We've. I mean, I think we've established that mm-hmm. the loser in that will always be the dog. There's no clear insight for that in and out of that, that picture. So yep. don't do it. All right, let's move on. Mm. Adrian Little. What are three
1: things in training you should never do with a dog? What are three things in
0: training you should always do with a dog? Three things. Mm -hmm. Well, there's probably dozens of things really, but three main things. You should never do with a dog. You should never do with a dog. Well, first is do defense training with your own dog. Mm -hmm. We just talked about that in the question before. That's, That's number one. Number two is don't take any advice that people say, Don't take your dog out and socialize it until it's 16 weeks of age. That's Mm -hmm. just recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. All right. Have you got a third one? I would add. Don't sting on feeding your dog good quality food.
1: Yeah. I would. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would add, never set your dog up to fail, like truly fail. Yep. And I think a lot of people do that. I see people by accident or on purpose setting their dog up to fail. Like I'll put my dog into situations that I know he'll struggle with that's and okay. I, I put him for him and I put him into struggle situations. Yeah. I put Healthy him into situations struggle. where I know he will be wrong, Yeah, but I would never do that unless I make sure I'm in a position to make
0: him correct.
1: Yeah. You so just want him to work out the puzzle. Yeah. So that's mm. like, I don't want to intentionally set my dog up to have a loss. Yeah. Um, unless I, I want to get something from that. Right. Yep. Like, so, so yeah, I think that's pretty important. Three things in training you should always do with the dog. I think establish strong foundations, establish clear communication system,
0: Be clear with your dog. That's probably it. I think uh, that's for me anyway. Yeah, I I would agree with those. Yeah. You almost sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about his thing with the sword. <laughs> <that you do. laughs> like like <laughs> what does he say? Like two serpents coming together over
1: a crescent yeah, moon. Crush your enemies. Yeah. Oh, to crush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> crush your enemies. Yeah. See them driven before you and to hear the lamentation of his women. That's right. (laughs) All right. Brian Jenkins, how would you go about, or would you even use an e-collar on a low motivation drive dog? Hmm. I think I'm going to leave that one. Like what would say of this is that everything, the hope can't outweigh the struggle. It's as simple as that, but I don't want to get into the weeds on e-collars really
0: here on the podcast. Mm -hmm. You agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a very good explanation overall. It's pretty all-encompassing that the hope should never outweigh the struggle. When you really sit down and think about that whole sentiment, it very much is a clever system of how you can ultimately succeed in your training. Yeah. Yeah. It really needs to be sat down. Like, you really do need one day to just sit down and meditate on that whole point because that is... When you, you know, when you do the mind maps Mm -hmm. and you sort of like things start to string away from everything, Mm -hmm. like when you put that in the center and start thinking about everything you're doing, that really is the starting point for your mind map into training for a lot of things. Yeah. Mm. And that's why we talk so much about positive reinforcement, even though
1: this episode, like already we've talked about a lot of pressure, you shouldn't be layering in the pressure until you've got the hope. Like, so you build the maximum of that and you get the dog like performing to the maximum of his genetic capability. Yep. And from there you can layer in the pressure. And so for some dogs that their desire, their you know motivation, their ignition is going to be naturally very low. You have yep. to get it to the maximum of what it can be. Yep. And then that will give you an indicator of how much pressure you can use. And mm. it will be less than that amount. Yep. Uh, and so long as you meet those ratios, you'll be fine. Yep. You, you will not demotivate a dog; It will not happen. All right, Brian Jenkins again, some tips and ideas to keep consistency of training and commands
0: with friends and family around. Don't do it. Yeah. I was going to say don't do yeah, it. Yeah, don't do it. For example, if my dogs are inside, I've got friends and family in there and they start issuing fruitless commands to the dogs, the dogs go outside. Yeah. And unfortunately, they get negative punishment over my, um, we're really the, the guests and the family should go outside. Yeah. Because basically what happens is their dog untraining at yeah. that point in time. So, the minute you allow that to start happening, you start making your dog realize that it can have a great ordeal of fun with other people without having to follow through what they've been told to do. Yeah. So, they can basically undo everything and it dilutes everything. And people say, yeah, but it's not me, so it shouldn't carry over to me. Well, fucking hell, it will. You know, yeah. like your dog will start second guessing the whole point of it. So, as soon as I've got anybody that's entering the house where I realize that's exactly what's going to happen- The dogs don't get punished. What I do is I do remove the dogs from the situation, but I don't make the dogs see it as punishment. I just take them outside with food and reward them out there. I might get them to do something small for me and then they'll get reinforced and I'll have a quick game with them and they'll come back inside. Sure, they want to be inside. They want to be amongst it. So unfortunately, there is going to be a variable of of punishment layered into it, but that's a small loss at what could come at the effects of my well-meaning idiot family and friends. (laughs) Um, I love them, but they're just, they're people who have no place training dogs. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I regularly find myself telling people that my dog is not their prank monkey. Yeah. um,
0: They can pat it. Yeah. And, And if I know that I've got those type of people in the house, like if they just want to pat the dog and hang out with it. Yeah, cool. That's all. That's all right. If they want to say gibberish to the dogs, that's fine. It has no ill effect on the dogs because it won't, kick them into drive or it won't teach them that they can ignore something that they've been instructed to do. So if they just say gibberish and hang out with a dog and just want to roll around and play with them, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's only when commands are issued. That's the whole, that's the whole point, which kills it all.
1: Yeah. So uh, like on that, certainly in the house, like, you know, we've already talked about how I don't train the house, but I don't ever ask my dog to do anything unless I'm in a position to reinforce it. Yeah. And uh, I don't, uh, allow other people to do the same. I think this is one of the reasons why I like so much, you know, non-English commands. Yeah, because people try to tell your dog to do stuff all the time, and I your won't, dog doesn't understand it. Yeah, so mm. it means nothing to my dog. People tell my dog to do stuff. Super. All the time. Yeah, it, but it means nothing <laughs> to him, and it's just that you see people like getting angry at the dog because they're telling it to sit. Because mm. random people do that shit. Yeah, and it just that's just a you may as well say purple monkey dishwasher to my dog. It means nothing to him when you say that. Yeah, so. And, and I also never, when my dog blows off other people, I just, if they know or give a command and, and it's something he knows, I don't ever try and convince him to carry through with it. So he learns like, no, I work for this guy. I don't do
0: what I'm told by other people. Yeah. That's an experienced dog though. That's a, that's a dog who knows its metal and what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, we used to do that in training quite frequently. That was an ADT requirement of high level dogs that you taught your dog to disobey the exact commands you would do off a stranger. So yeah. the dog would only issue when you cured it to, but no one else. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be done. I've seen that it can be done, but a dog needs to, like it needs to be in the proofing phase of training to be yeah, able yeah. to endure that and comfortably live with the fact that that's okay. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. But I mean, that's, I think that's, you know, where most people listening probably are at that point, right? Where yeah. it's like, You've, the reason you're concerned about it is because your friends and family are doing the things with your dog that you've been training and you just show the dog. There's no consequence. If you can't control the people, you just show the dog, hey, there's no
0: consequence for not doing what they say. There, there is a problem there in, and I, I just need to probably make people aware of where the problem therein lies. When the dog is prepped for it, like I'm in a position where I'm not to take commands off people, then the dog won't do it. Mm. But if the dog's in a relaxed state of mind, And it thinks, okay, I'm home, it's safe, it's Bali, and then people start doing it it changes the the whole synopsis for the dog. Mm. Then the dog reads it differently because it's a little bit more vulnerable than what it would be in a training environment. The only reason I know that is because I endured it myself. When when I'd be out in the field, my dog had all its cues on, like it had its harness on, it had everything on. We're at the training ground. I'm there. I'm close by. I'm watching the dog with a staunch look on my face. You know, So everything is in play to say, don't follow this fucking command, no mm. matter what. But when you're at home and you're all relaxed and you're half pissed and, you're, you you know, your friends and family are all rolling around and the dog is feeling a little bit more, you know, like everybody's relaxed. This is a good time, isn't it? Kids do the same thing, mm. you know. This is a good time, isn't it? And then they start, you know, like sit, drop, stay, turn around, do this, do that. The dog will attempt to do some of the functions. Mm. That's where I've seen it happen before. And I thought, I don't like where this is going. You know, it's kind of upsetting me that my dog is is trying to go through the motions of doing this without any consequences whatsoever for non compliance or for half doing it or anything else that would normally normally happen in any other environment. And that's where I put the stops to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and that's the main thing is you just tell people, like I I say to people all the time, he's not a prank monkey. Yeah. I need, I need those behaviors to happen in a particular way. Yeah. So stop fucking undermining me. Yeah.
0: Like people get it. If the conversation and the party gets a little pissy, which I mean by, you know, a little alcohol and juice and stuff like that, put the dogs elsewhere, Mm. you know, because it's just where you get vulnerable and you start letting your guard down about what needs to be done. And that's where it comes back to bite you in the ass. Mm Mm-hmm. That's something that I usually consider anyway. Mm -hmm. All right. Joe Hodge, just listened to Patreon episode on aggression. Do you personally ever
1: use any type of corrections or aversives when dealing with aggression or
0: solely counter conditioning and desensitization? I, you always use punishment when the dog knows why it's being punished. Mm -hmm. So as long as the dog understands why it's being punished, then yes, I will use aversives in the training. Mm -hmm. If the dog is feeling something and I'm uncertain of what it's feeling and it's certainly in a preliminary stage of its training, I can't use punishment for that because the dog doesn't understand why it's happening. Mm -hmm. I've also got to be mindful of the situation that the dog is in. So if I think this could be a catalyst for more explosive behaviour, I'd be foolish to do it. Mm -hmm. So it comes with experience. It comes from a point where if your dog is instrumental in its aggression, like it's doing it and it knows that it's the wrong thing to do, and then you correct the dog. The dog, well, yeah, well, I cop that because I shouldn't have done it. Mm. And that takes, that, that again is a dog that has gone through the training with you, understands why it's doing it. But for example, if like I said, if the dog is feeling afraid and fearful and it's aggressive for that and you correct the dog, you can't correct away fear. You mm. can't stop the dog for feeling something that it is feeling. And that, that's the problem. And that's why we use counter conditioning and systematic desensitization and training is because we, we want the dog to change its mind about how it's feeling at that point in time. We want to lessen the effect of the dog to the point where the dog develops a neutrality behind it and thinks to itself, I don't, I don't need to be fearful or aggressive here. And if you do that, you don't need to get to the point of having to correct the dog because yeah. the dog doesn't go through the range of motions that you would normally see. However if the dog just does one day decide, you know what, I'm going to go over and fuck that dog up. Okay. And it knows it shouldn't have done it. And you kick its ass for doing it. The dog will go, yeah, well I had that coming. You know, I I went to do a behavior that I shouldn't have done. I know I shouldn't have done it. And now I'm in trouble for it. Mm.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Like I, I would say I use, this is kind of the spinning wheel. I think of negative reinforcement and positive punishment, but for sure, like I will use pressure to, pull or push a dog out of aggressive behaviors Mm. for sure. Uh, And I think that this is one of the things we, it it relates to the episode that we did with uh, Roger Abrantes and that the aggressive behaviors, like, yeah, if I can isolate that behavior, then I'm willing to use pressure. And I think more often than not, when I think about it really analytically, in a circumstance like that, I tend to use more negative reinforcement at, into a behaviour that I like, and then reinforce that, mm. than punishment, because punishment can stop the, the the aggression, but then anything can happen. And I'm not usually looking for anything to happen. I'm usually looking for a particular thing. Yep. And so, if I the pressure I apply brings a particular thing, that's negative reinforcement. I think also the the idea that you you can never use like aversives or uh, corrections, you know depending on the words and there's some definition issues in there, but I think that's responsible. The, the, the pushing of that into the mainstream public is largely responsible for the big increase we're seeing in aggressive dogs yep. is because it's so often that with a young dog that like you get a young puppy and it displays a little bit of forward aggression at something.
0: Yeah. It's usually, experimental.
1: Yeah. Just usually you could interrupt that behavior and get rid of it with the tiniest amount of pressure at that moment. Like yep. where you would just sort of like literally tap a dog and go, hey, knock it off. And the dog goes, oh, that's not a successful behavior. I will not, I'll, I'll no longer pursue that. Mm. But everybody's then told like we're under the idea now, like, oh, okay, this is, uh, that's ter- that's fear. And he's being fearful and I have to, you know, be careful of this situation and, and and I can't punish that or I can't use any pressure in that moment. And the behavior, you know, they're, they're then successful in their aggression and it escalates and they're reinforced and it gets stronger and stronger. So often, like I've never had an issue with a dog that I've raised from young. I've never had an issue of aggression because, of course, there's little, you know, you get tiny little behaviors where the dog thinks I'm going to have a crack at the title here. And you just go, no, you can't. Like, and, and just – get rid of it in a moment and the mm. dog goes oh cool got it and nobody's upset nobody's there there's no fallout but if you get it that first time when it's in its absolute infancy it's gone forever like it right. just disappears. Yep. But if you let it escalate now we get to the point where we've got like okay That's now- where you do want to encourage single event learning. Yeah, mm. that's right but it's it's when people let that kind of thing escalate now we yeah. get to the point where we're like okay well now we have to take well, experimental that measures. Stage. That's right. Yeah, mm. we, like that behavior has been reinforced and that aggression has you know he's that, that according to him plays a big part in his life and that's going to be much more difficult to get rid of yep. than when the first time he expressed it and you just went hey knock it off right
0: i was encouraged to watch a and this is a while ago a video that somebody showed me of a dog licking its lips Mm -hmm. and you know the commentary behind it was oh you know this dog is experiencing fear and so forth when i looked at it i read a very different picture on it and i this was one of those online debates where i I had to opt out because it just started to get silly Mm -hmm. to me the dog looked like it was licking its lips because it was salivating excessively and it was just clearing the sal- the saliva from around its lips. Mm-hmm. And then when I said that, people said, well, it's salivating excessively because it's stressed, but it didn't look stressed. It just looked like a dog that was hot and bothered and licking its lips. And I thought that's a perfectly good explanation. If you were salivating and you had saliva dribbling down your lips, Would you lick your lips or would Mm -hmm. you just let it slide down your face like a drooling idiot? (laughs) I would lick my lips, sir. You would lick your, (laughs) yeah. it's crazy. How fucking crazy is it? How over analytical people get over things? Yeah. I think sometimes like those classic stress signals,
1: yawning, lip licking, all that kind of thing, like they're relevant, but they have to take the bigger picture into consideration as well. Yeah. Uh, Like those same, all those same things will happen through stress of desire, not stress of any fear or concern. And if you look at, you know, my own dog, when he comes out, he will immediately. So he comes out of the back of the car. Like this literally just happened as we came in here, I opened the back of the car He can tell by the way that I open the crate that it's not just going out to empty. We're going to do some work. He turns around and he's then watching to see the crate that I have above his crate, like the box. He's watching to see which reinforcer I'm going to get out, right? Is it going to be the ball? Is it going to be Frisbee? Is it going to be the chuck whatever? And in that time he's stressed, like he's incredibly stressed. He's licking his lips. He even will yawn sometimes because that's just like, holy fuck, which is going to be. And that's the stress of his ultimate reinforcer. Like Mm -hmm. that's, he's super excited about that. But it would be very easy to isolate that video, a video of that and go look how stressed this dog is, right? And it is, yeah. But that's the stress of like anxiety of of good things, yep.
0: not not bad things. Um, so I think like while it's those still got to be endured. Yeah, and it will be no matter what. Yeah, that's it. And regardless of whether you play a part in it, it's going to happen. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's it. Mm. All right. So yeah, I think while they're they're important, those stress signals, they the, the bigger picture of context needs to be taken no, into consideration. No doubt consideration. they're important. It's important to lessen the impact you're having on the the dogs, on the negativity in your dog's life. Yeah, you know. And I mean, and I think you and I and many other people in the industry who vlog and blog and everything like that are doing a sterling job of put painting that picture. You know, I mean, that's, that's the advocacy that anybody or we're all trying to push is try and reduce the negativity that you're impacting in your dog's life Mm. and try and increase the openness and communication you're having between the two species. Yeah. All right. Fayez Doob. how do
1: you go about fear periods? Are fear periods different at different ages or different breeds? Do's and don'ts for these periods? Yes, they are.
0: Yeah. Um, Different breeds, different, yeah, different bloodlines. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly right. I've been shot to pieces for this before. Some people have challenged me on this point. However, it's some, it, I'll, I'll stick to this anyway. I believe that when I first see a puppy going through a bit of a struggle period is around about eight to nine weeks of age. Yeah. And that's usually the age that the dog bodies of the world say that a puppy should only be removed and put in a home, around mm-hmm. about that age, eight weeks of age. Now, I would prefer personally myself to take a puppy around about seven weeks of age. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing. I'm very astute at raising a puppy around that age. I take all the necessary precautions and so forth, but yet it is um, still considered an illegal practice. It is still considered to be highly undesirable by groups of people who believe that they're our peers. The problem is I prefer to have a dog – that is comfortable in its surroundings and with the people that it's going to live the rest of its life with while it is going through that first little hint of fear. Okay. So when it first does trigger and look at the world and go, holy shit, who am I? What am I doing? What's my purpose in life? What's the meaning of life in a dog's way of dealing mm-hmm. with that? I would rather the dog say, but it's okay. Cause I'm with a friend. Yeah. Rather than I've going this guy a week. Yeah, that's right. Instead of going, who the fuck are you yeah. and, wh- and who am I and what's the meaning of life, you know, and where am I? Well, it's it's going through that period. Now, Now, some people have said to me, Glenn, that's a load of shit. That doesn't happen. Well, I've had more people than just you, old Jono, come back to me and say <laughs> that, you know, like the dog was okay one day and then not okay the next and then okay the following day and then not so okay the day following that. So the dog was going in and out of of a bit of a stage of discovery. So some people say, well, that's okay, that's fine. Again, I would rather the dog know me for a week, have an established mindset of you're my friend, you're my guardian, you're, you've are you got my best interest at heart, and I'm quite safe with you because I've got firm, effective leadership with you, mm-hmm. okay? And when I'm bothered by something, I can come to you and we can go and investigate it together if it's a problem. So the other time that people start seeing this, some people start seeing it around between seven and nine months of age, Uh, Other people see it happening around 14 months of age. So there is a variation of periods where you will see a a selection or a criteria of behaviours occurring around those times. I can't say when exactly it will be because it does dip in and out of that, depending on the dog, the breed, the way it was raised. It could have, it could solely be effect on the the diets we're feeding the dog. Mm -hmm. Vaccinations, there's a myriad of things that I could think of uh, off the cuff that could have an effect. I can't say absolutely do with conviction because I don't know for certain when it's going to happen or what triggers it, but I know that they do happen. It happens in children as well. I mean, most times around 12 to 13 years of age, people in schools are telling parents, your son or daughter is going to go through, the, you know, like a a variation of behaviours over this time, you know, especially when they start hitting the teenage years. And for people who've got kids around two they they're called terrible twos because they go in and out of the frustrations of changing you know they're starting to understand the language barriers like I know I'm jumping in and out of things but this happens so incredibly fast in a dog's life compared to a human life that you know we're just getting over one and another one starts to dip in yeah so you've just got to understand that it's happening and it's okay that it's happening as long as you're prepared for it yeah uh, and I'll- you don't overcompensate it either. I would say on fear periods that as much as possible, depending
1: on where you got your dog from and that kind of thing, is is investigate the bloodline to understand Mm. when they're likely to happen. Yeah, Because I think what's important to try and not – confuse is an actual environmental problem versus just a a fear period. Right. And so like the way I would deal with fear periods in puppies is just give them a month off, you know, like just relax, just chill out for a month. And when they have their issues, just go like, Hey, we're going to stick with things that you're okay with. Yeah. And we'll slowly over a month later, reintroduce things. Yeah.
0: But then never paid any money.
1: Yeah. But then the issue would be if you then think you identify, okay, now suddenly my dog is terrified of, the man in the blue hat, and you go, oh, it's a fear period, and then it that doesn't go away, yep. right? So that's kind of my concern is trying to identify: is this a real issue with my dog? Is this a real problem that I have, mm. or is this just that the dog's got all fucky for a month, and and I'm just going to leave it to chill out? Yeah, uh, and I think your best indicator of that is knowing the bloodline, and then to staying in contact with anybody else who has a dog in the same siblings. Uh, yeah. Yep. Because I think, you know, when we talk to Katrina, you know, she's talking about like something they do great with their mini bull project is they keep all the people together, right? They have really good ongoing support, but then they have Facebook groups of the owners of those dogs. Mm. And so if one person suddenly notices an environmental issue with their dog, then they can say, Hey, got this going on. And if everybody else says, Oh yeah, me too. Then, okay, cool. We're in a few period. Or if, You know, suddenly my dog's scared of the man in the blue hat and everybody else is is fine. It's like, okay, well, something might have happened. Your dog might have like made some sort of superstitious association. This may not be a fear period. You should, you know, you need to address this as a trigger issue. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the the difficult part in, in fear periods. But yeah, my advice on it and what I sort of tell everybody and and I've never had it go bad is just like wind back everything. Just don't put too much pressure on the dog. Let it chill out. Let it mature for that little period. Take a month off training if need be, whatever. Mm -hmm. We had, I remember Jordan's dog, Woonhead, was growing up awesome, strong little Mally. Everything was going really good. And then I think it was nine or 10 months, like just went to water. It was terrible. Mm. Like you'd say- But they become
0: hormonal. Yeah. It's the first time that they're- You know, like, especially in – I'm not going to make this a gender thing, but especially in the females when they're going through that estrus sort of cycle. Yeah. That really fucking – that yeah. And so he was, up a little bit. he was he
1: was kind of worried, like, oh, what's happened to my dog? And I said, oh, mate, just give her a month off. Like, yep. And she comes back better than ever. Yep. You know? uh, so it Was, was like, she coming we, into season around that time? Well, yeah, but didn't really show, you know yep. what I mean? So it probably was for yep. a very first cycle. But just like, hey, just we'll give her a month off. Just totally. We, we go from, at that point, we were starting to put some, like, frontal sort of pressure on the dog, and, like, it went badly. So, okay, we'll just give her a month off from that. Yep. And just do, like, prey bites, like running away fun stuff. Yeah. yeah, just let her have a good time. and Remember during this period, like, hey, biting's fun. Yep, and then a month later we'd go alright let's just have a little look and see if we can put some pressure on the dog again. Yep. and she lights up and is like it's, it's all there so it yep. was fine so that was a you know a, a real it was an extreme example of a fear period like the dog went from a really nice dog to terrible couldn't be worked yeah and then a month later back to a really nice dog again so mm. you gotta i think you know be prepared to just put the dog on the shelf for a little while and and come out later yeah. and don't push them through it that's that's the big that that's where people go wrong because then you will create a problem
0: i don't know if i've talked about it on the on the podcast before but there was a lesson i did years ago where clients rang me up and they had a dog that was scared of the toilet in their house so it would come down the hallway see the toilet and refuse to come into the room where everybody was because it couldn't get past the toilet monster mm. And when they rang me up and spoke to me about it, I said, has anyone, you know, done anything untowards with the dog? Is there any associative behaviors there? Like, has he been, you know, one of the kids flushed his head in the toilet or banged his head on the lid or anything like that? Or has anything happened? Did someone do a particularly horrendous poo? I was, I was going to actually say that and I thought, oh, that's probably taking it too far, but you went there. But <laughs> So all that, well, any kind of aversive, so it doesn't really matter what it is, but everybody assured me nothing happened. And I said, it's a fear period. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll go, go away. away. And I said, within a week, he won't even respond to it anymore. So I think around about nine days later, he would go down the hallway like nothing ever happened. Yeah. And they rang me up and said, you're right, nothing ever happened. You know, it was It was like it n- never occurred. And I said, yeah, it's just a fear stage. Yeah. And I said, they do weird things. I remember as a kid, I don't know why I used to, but just certain things would make me fucking cry when I was a kid and I'd just go through this cycle. I went through this cycle for about three months where I'd just trigger over things and get over, um, overburdened by things and start bursting into tears. My mum was getting really worried about it, but it went before it, mm-hmm. it went anywhere. Like it just, it changed. And I've seen other friends, children doing the same thing. And I've, I've said to them, look, I I confess I'm not a psychologist. I have nothing to do with analyzing human minds. And I said, but I, I would pretty much say don't, put too much fucking don't Don't worry about it don't pay too much into that because i believe that's just a period of growth Mm. you know and i said it's the same thing that happens to dogs There's these little fear imprinting stages that go on and i said you'll probably find that once they get it out of their system it'll be gone and sure enough gone yeah
1: yeah all right evan smith did fenton ever come back
0: you know what so someone must know that guy we got- well, no, actually if you go on YouTube, there is a, there was a call out to try and find the owner of Fenton. Yeah. like there was a, it was on a news program in Richmond Park. So they walked around there, you know saying, do you know who the guy is? He won't come forward. but yeah. well, he's probably so fucking. He, he's either died of a heart attack from running after <laughs> that fucking dog because he was a hefty looking dude. So he's either either died of a heart attack, the deer turned around and charged him and and murdered him and Fenton. Or he's just totally embarrassed and, you know, probably thought yeah. that was a terrible thing to happen. Or even the council are looking for him to charge him with yeah. his dog being off lead and dangerous in a in a local I think that's area. That's the reason he didn't come forward. Yeah, I think that's probably the reason why he didn't come forward. So yeah, he could probably make hundreds of thousands of dollars in endorsements. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Marco Novakovich. How
1: can you politely tell a client that they 100% have the wrong dog for them and that you can only do so much before just managing their environment? You tell
0: them honestly. Yeah, as straight up as yeah. you can. And and don't make it personal. It's the thing I think with most things in communicating with people is just say, look, I'm your paid servant, basically. You know, I'm here to do whatever you need me to do. And a part of that is to offer you the right advice. And here it is. Yeah. And and lay it out in a nice way. Just say this is going to sound unsavory because I'm sure there's a, a side of you who deeply loves this dog, but you've got to understand that the, the limitation, I mean, you talk about the hope never outweighing the struggle to say the struggle is well and truly o- over the top. Yeah. So I think the the best thing to do, and I've certainly been in this situation is to offer them the
1: out. Like if you're, it's usually because a dog's too high drive. Yep. And then if you're plugged into the community, like, you know, if you're a professional dog trainer, you should be Mm. tell them like, Hey, these are the options for this dog. Like, it's not like I'm telling you, you should just, you know, put this dog in the street and shut the door. Like he is best suited to working and show them that the path to selling the dog or whatever. Right. And, and show like, this is the happy life that this dog's capable of, of, of having. Yep. And you're really an obstructionist to that. Yep. Um, but yeah, straight up—that's the best way I think—is just straight deadpan to their face.
0: Yeah, uh, tell you, them. you've got to pull the pull the bandaid off this as quickly as yeah. possible because the more you dilly-dally around with it, the problem is that the more hope that they'll actually gather that there's the problem can be resolved, and it can't be. Yeah, you know, you've got to look at a hopeless situation as being a hopeless situation. Yeah. All right, Manon Clement how
1: to use markers in the intermittent reward schedule phase. I'm afraid my yes marker would lose its power if not followed by a reward, a reward, even randomly. Yeah. So you shouldn't be. So in the intermittent schedule of reinforcement, you're not reinforcing. So mm. don't, don't mark. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, something I teach. Uh, you know, people misunderstand the intermittent schedule of reinforcement. That means that you chain behaviors together and then reinforce at the end mm. rather than learn just not reinforcing behaviors. So yeah, you the the you still reinforce, but after only a chain, best efforts only, but after a chain of behaviors, yeah. not after one behavior.
0: Yeah, and even in in that event where you're trying to get the dog to struggle through the behavior, whereas work that I've been doing with my dogs, like if I'm intermittent with the dogs, I want the dogs to go, okay, well, you know, I didn't get rewarded that time. It's no big deal. I'll just try harder for the behavior.
1: Mm.
0: All right, uh, Sunday Shelton, how to break a
1: dog from potting in the kennel that is potty trained in the house. I'm not sure I understand that fully. So dog shitting in the kennel, but yeah. not in the house. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to show them ways out. Like dogs have to shit. Right. And, yeah. and so I think that it, it relates to that hope. It all comes back to the idea of hope. Like you have to show the dog what would have happened. Dogs typically don't want to be shitting like a, like a healthy dog typically doesn't want to be shitting all over itself or, yeah. or in its own space. But eventually, if he's been left in the kennel long enough, he will. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is he shows, he realizes that there's no hope of being let out. So the trigger gets less and less and less. So he might have, the first time he needed a crap, waited till he was absolutely busting and then realized no one's coming. And so I have to crap in here. And then that trigger gets less and less so that the dog goes, well. The second I need to crap, I may as well just do it because I've never had, I've never been relieved from the distress before. Mm. So I'll just do it. Why, why put myself through holding it? So then I think it's, you know, very uh, regularly letting the dog out. There's little tricks you can do to make dogs want to avoid crapping in their kennel, like scatter feeding in the kennel and that kind of stuff. Like uh, again, we're, we're hoping the dog is healthy, but like a dog typically shouldn't, if if he eats
0: off the floor of his kennel, he, he, he hopefully won't want to shit on the floor of his kennel either. There's so many hypotheticals in answering that one. And to answer that, I'd need more data on it. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I'd need to go around there and get a firm understanding of what's happening because there really could be some psychological issues going on there. Yeah. These are things, and no offence to the question, I appreciate you asking the question, but these are questions that I don't like answering online unless I'm actually seeing what's going on. Yeah. It's like trying to deal with aggression on the internet. You know, like the amount of times that people- I mean, this has just ended so badly for people who are trying to do Skype calls on aggression, you know, and then they go out and try some behavior without you actually being there to coach and the dog nails them Mm. where it could have been easily avoided had you had the person there with them. And sometimes that's not entirely practical. So I know that I'm probably not giving the best example as possible, but yeah, for things like that, I just need a lot more data. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, All right. And the last one,
1: we finally got through them all. Melissa Lopez, how does one find seminars worthy of attending?
0: The Balance Symposium or the Canine Paradigm. Yeah. I think we,
1: just something on the, on our group, please no blind posting in there. So like when people just share like a seminar poster with no context, we don't allow them. Yeah. So you got to say like what it is and why why you're bothering to share it. Yep. Even if it's like, hey, I'm hosting this person, it will be good. You got to say something like that just to clear that up instead of it just being like, here's the poster. Yeah. But- I think you got to know the hole in your game, you know, and, and go for what you're ready to learn. Yeah. You know, I teach seminars that are on Nipopo, right? And so I talk about shaping for a little while, but you could go to a whole, like I I have a little section. I talk about shaping and why I think it's valuable, but you could go to a five day seminar on shaping. And same as like, I talk about, I I say, you know, play with your dog. Well, you could go to a a whole J Jack seminar on how to play with your dog. Right. Mm. So I think you got to know where What's your market? Yeah. Well what What's is it interest? you want to learn? Mm. What is it you want to learn? Like yep. where are the holes in your game? Yep. Uh what is it that you want to get better at? Um and attend a seminar relevant to that. Like if, I think, if
0: you're new, if you're new and you don't know, just go keep going until you find an interest. Yeah. You I know, think and that, you'll fall in love with something eventually and you think, yeah, that's what I want to do.
1: Yeah. Mm. And, and I think uh, go to as many as you possibly can everywhere, yep. but you know, time and money are are a constraint for everybody. But yeah, I think that's the main thing is, is identify where are the holes in your game? When you compare your training to others and go, okay, what are they doing so much better than me? Okay. That's where I need to up my game and go to either their seminar or the person they learned it from. Yep. Yeah. That's all. That's
0: it. Yep. We got through all the questions. Really? Yeah. Finally. In a time savvy sense as well. Three, three episodes three worth episodes of questions. And we, we honored everybody's questions. Yep. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, three episodes in of questions. We finally got through them. Yep. And we'll be back to regularly scheduled content.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some more guests and all kinds of cool stuff coming up. We've got some really cool guests in the, in the, wings, in the pipeline. Yeah, but it's just bloody finding the time, getting the, like w- when we're both out here and they're available. Yep. It's
0: tricky, but yep. we're working on it. So I've got Grisha Stewart in the pipeline. She wants mm-hmm. to have a chat with us. Yeah. Um, so we're just trying to make time for that to happen. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a chat with her and talk to her about her uh, installation into the the dog world and her whole ideals behind her bat system and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. that will be cool. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah. So there's um, lots of other people like, like you said, there's just trying to tee it up. That works for them works for us, but yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get around to it. All right, cool. Hey, I'm going to wrap it up. Mm. That's it for another episode of the Canon paradigm. As always,
1: if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe, do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you an extra episode, 10 bucks a live Q and a on that one. And you know, you could give as much as you like. If you want to support the show another way, you could buy a cool T-shirt. And it sounds like we're going to have some new T-shirts with the "How dare you, sir!" How
0: dare you, sir! How yeah. dare you, indeed! Yep. And if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is if to anyone shoot wants us to do it like a like a little logo to go with that, like doodle. like Avery did. I, I think Avery's on there. On the hook, she said um, at your seminar the other day that she was pretty keen for it to, f- to do another logo for us. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So we can have the Avery collection part two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. someone give us a picture that represents how dare you, sir. Yeah. Who, what would it be? Oh, uh, well, it could be you telling me or whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Someone will come up with something. Could be, yeah, it could be the, the dog logos that we've got. Yeah. So oh, that, and that, we
1: want a new Facebook cover. New splash thing. page. Yeah. The, yeah. The cover photo. We want to stop changing that with every episode and leave that normal. So if someone wants to take control of that and do something cool for us, feel free. Yeah. Jason Cohen, I'm looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And if you want to get in contact with us, we are info at the paradigm.com. Mm. Glenn music.